It's good to be together for worship this morning, isn't it? Gathered together to sing to the Lord and hear from, uh, hear from His Word. Uh, as, as you'll know, this is graduation season for universities, and uh, spring uh, convocation at Munn is set for Tuesday, May 28th through Friday, May 31st, as a wide range of degrees will be handed out. And uh, graduation is an exciting time. You know, years of hard work, hours of study, gallons of coffee, and so many late night cramming sessions all culminate into this special moment of being awarded an academic degree. But of course, so often, graduation also comes with the stress of the unknown. And so you have graduated. Now what? Two Sundays ago, of course, we celebrated Easter, and Easter is a big deal. Uh, a lot of churches, including ours, you know, a lot of planning, a lot of thought goes into celebrating Easter, and especially Easter Sunday services, and rightly so. And then last weekend, I was in Dryden, Ontario, up in northern Ontario, uh, also sh- preaching there and also sharing about Mile One Mission. I returned home on Monday afternoon, and then on Tuesday morning of this week, we were all together in, in, in staff meeting again, talking about our mission and talking about church planning and reaching people. And then as often happens at some point during the morning, Matt blurts out and says, what's for lunch, boys? And so we decided to eat real fancy on Tuesday. We went to Mickey D's. I mean, it was Splurge Tuesday this week. And oddly enough, it was on the short drive from Kenmount Terrace to McDonald's in Paradise with all of these recent events and this traveling bouncing around in my mind that the Lord uh, helped me settle on a passage of Scripture and a sermon title. And so I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, As I preach a message this morning entitled, Easter, Now What? Easter, Now What? And so we're turning to Luke chapter 24, and uh, we're going to read verses uh, 36 to 49. All right, let's let's read. As As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and And said to them, peace to you. And they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet. That it is, it's I myself. Touch me and see for For spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and and ate before them. And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, 
that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. May God bless again the, the reading of his word. Uh, you know, it's, it's been rightly noted that, that Luke chapter 24 provides us with three parallel scenes from Easter Day. And I suppose if they were being painted, the first scene would be of the, the women in conversation with the angels at the tomb. And, and Pastor Steve talked about some of that interaction on, on Easter Sunday. The next scene would be the two disciples on the Emmaus Road. The scripture says their hearts burning as they listen to Jesus explain the scriptures to them. And that's where Matt brought us last Sunday morning to that particular text. And so this morning, I want to bring us to the third scene, if you will. Picking up from where Matt finished last Sunday, and in, in this third scene, we have Jesus suddenly standing in a room of startled disciples on Easter evening. Now, uh, it's probably safe to say that we all love happy endings, right? Um, I read of a father who took his little boy to a pet shop to pick out a puppy for his birthday present. And for half an hour, they, they, they looked at the assortment of puppies and decided which one you want, asked the dad. And yes, the little fellow replied, pointing to the one who was enthusiastically wagging his tail. And the little boy said, I want the one with the happy ending. I, I mean, I, I mean... That's what we all want, right? We want the life with the happy ending. And someone has said that the sweetest words in the English language must be, and they lived happily ever after. And we can be tempted to think that the whole purpose of Easter is to provide a, a happy ending after sorrow. Or, or that Easter is about providing hope of, of life after death. I would suggest to you that there is so much more. And the last few sentences of Luke's gospel help us zero in on the meaning and significance of Easter. These last few sentences help us answer the question of now what? And so in our scripture text, the scene shifts from a table in the village of Emmaus back to a room in Jerusalem where Jesus suddenly appears to his followers. And into the, the confusion and the doubt and the fear, you know, Jesus, Jesus says, peace 
to you. Beautiful words. And Jesus, Jesus says, look, it's, it's really me. I, I am alive. You know, take, take my hands and touch my face. It, it's really me, everyone. And then to further solidify things to these frightened and, 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 and scared and, you know, people filled with doubt, he, he asked for something to eat. <laughs> and, and it says that they gave him a piece of broiled fish because as we as Newfoundlanders know, a meal of fish is good for the body and the soul, right? And so Jesus, Jesus then gets right to the heart of the matter, providing for his followers the, the meaning and the purpose of his death and resurrection and answering, I, I think in clear terms, the now what of Easter. Look at verse 44 if you have your Bible open there. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And so really, Jesus does for the wider group in this room what he had done for the two on the road to Emmaus. He, he explains the scriptures. He, he traces the, 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 the messianic prophecies of the Hebrew Bible and interpreting their meaning and showing them how all of the prophecies and the writings in what we refer to as the Old Testament found their fulfillment in, in him, the, the person and work of Jesus. And then in verses 45 to 49, the scripture says he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said, it's written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. And so you're witnesses of these things, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And so the message and meaning of Easter is not everyone lives happily ever after. Or, or the message is not, you know, Jesus has, has risen, now we're all going to heaven. The message and meaning of Easter is that God's new creation has begun and now we've got work to do. Now what? Followers of Jesus are not to stay in locked rooms. No, Jesus says, I'm, I'm now sending you. You will be witnesses. There is, there is gospel work to be done. And these instructive words, friends of Jesus... They reach right into our times, right into our context, right into this very moment. It's been said that Easter builds a bridge to the future. And the instruction Jesus provides here in our text on Easter night, and in fact, over the 40 days leading up to his ascension, the instruction, this instruction becomes foundational to their future mission. And so let's, let's consider Jesus' instruction here. First, I, I would suggest to you that, that Jesus provides gospel instruction. The now what of Easter has to do with us becoming witnesses, and Jesus is emphatically clear 
about the substance of our testimony, what we are witnesses of. Now, you know, I, I've never been part of an actual trial, thankfully. I've never been called to a witness stand, not at this point in my life. I don't know what the future holds. But I do understand that oftentimes as, as lawyers and counsel are preparing for a trial, often there's, there's the work of preparing a witness to take the stand. And sometimes when expert testimony uh, is being called, lawyers will sit with that testimony and rehearse that testimony and, and prepare for, for what might come up in a particular trial. Well, Jesus is giving here gospel instruction. And he's saying, you're going to be witnesses, and I'm going to tell you what you're going to witness to. It's, 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 it's a gospel-rooted witness. And the gospel is rooted in historical objective reality. I mean, the gospel is good news. It's the announcement of what God has done in the person of Jesus to save us. And so the gospel is that repentance that leads to forgiveness of sins is possible in and through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, this, is, this fact is so important, especially in our context here in Newfoundland and Labrador. Our witness is about what Jesus has done to save humanity. And so our witness, our message is not a message of just social renewal or moral improvement or somehow earning God's favor and love. Easter builds a bridge to the future of gospel proclamation. Our message is that forgiveness of sins and a restored right relationship with God is received entirely on the basis of what Jesus has done upon his work of salvation. You know, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there is this explicit definition of what the gospel is. And Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, listen, this is the gospel by which you were saved. He says, I deliver to you as of first importance what I receive, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. You see, the gospel, our witness, points to what Jesus has done. That is the heart of gospel proclamation. And so now what? Well, we're, we're now we're gospel people. We're people rooted in the gospel, and because of Easter, we live with the gospel at the center of our lives. And, and the gospel is not about improving people. The gospel is about raising people who were dead in their sins to new life in Christ. And so Easter is intended to make us men and women of the gospel. Well, Jesus gives us gospel instruction, and then Jesus also gives us mission instruction. Now what? Well, because of Easter, the gospel, Jesus says, is to be proclaimed to all nations, all people groups. We're called to go, and in the immediate context of our scripture text, 
the disciples were not to stay in locked rooms, but they are being sent out to announce the good news of this saving gospel. I, 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 and like, like John Piper has said, when it comes to this expansive worldwide mission, we as believers, as churches, we're, we're either going or we're sending someone or we're disobedient. Jesus is clear that gospel proclamation is for the world. It's, it's around the world and, yeah, across the street. And so as we think about that, let me, let me ask you, you what, what missionaries are you praying for by name? What, what countries are you praying for, interceding for? What unreached people groups are you learning about and praying for? What about here at home? Who are you witnessing to? Have you had gospel conversations recently? As, as we think about our mission of, of mile one mission of planting churches, what about praying for, for the neighborhoods around St. John's that do not have a gospel church? You see, Jesus is giving us mission instruction. And the now what of Easter is that we have a gospel for the world. As, as Kent Hughes writes, our message is, it's not a philosophy. It's not even a way of life. It is the eternal good news based on historical events prophesied in the Old Testament and fulfilled by Jesus the Messiah. And so we are to preach Christ and Him crucified, and we are to share Christ everywhere using our time and resources to go around the world and across the street. And so again, here at the end of Luke 24, Jesus is building a bridge from Easter to the future, and He provides gospel instruction, He provides mission instruction, and what comes next, I want to take some time here is quite crucial. Luke 24, verse 49. He says, And behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And so we are gospel people. We are mission people. But we're also called by Jesus to be a spirit-empowered people. And the now what of Easter is that as a community, we have been called to take the gospel to all people. But how? Well, Jesus is sending them out, but not before he equips them, not before he enables them. And Luke describes this equipping as being clothed with power. And you'll also note that the disciples are instructed to wait in Jerusalem until they're clothed with power from heaven. And so before the call to go, they're, they're first called to wait. Many of, us, many of us know that Luke's gospel, of course, has a, has a sequel, the book of Acts. The book of Acts is where Luke's gospel, um, the book of Acts picks up where Luke's gospel leaves off and and records the early progress of the gospel as Jesus' disciples take the gospel from Jerusalem and throughout Judea and Samaria to the rest of the, the Mediterranean world. And in chapter 1 of Acts, Luke, he, he restates the command of Jesus to wait for the promised Holy Spirit in, verse, in Acts 1 verse 4. In, in verse 8, Luke again records the words of Jesus saying that they would, they would become 
powerful witnesses when the Holy Spirit uh, was poured out. And then we have the fulfillment of this promise in, in Acts 2, verses 1 to 13. And I won't take the time to, to read all of those verses, but just, just let's look at Acts 2, verses 1 to 4, as we, we kind of get the fulfillment of, of what Luke is talking about at the end of his gospel, at the beginning of Acts. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so the followers of Jesus are they're gathered together in a room. They're waiting upon God. And there are some very remarkable things going on here. There's signs and wonders of sound and sight and speech that we can only describe as miraculous. And so preceding the outpouring of the Spirit, there was a, a sound like a mighty wind, and there was the appearance of fire. And, and I think what we need to appreciate about this text is that these signs and wonders would have been quite familiar in a Jewish context. You know, wind and fire and inspired speech were all part of the history of God's dealings with his people. For example, wind. You know, you go back to the book of Ezekiel. And the prophetic vision of the valley of dry bones and, and you know, representing the spiritually dead Jewish nation. And there's that text where, where they're, they're, they're calling upon the, the breath of the Spirit to come and blow. And, and so there's that imagery of wind. Fire was also a familiar symbol of God's presence among the people throughout the Bible. You know, Moses and the burning bush and the consuming fire on, on Mount Sinai. And so there was, there was wind and there was fire. Again, themes that this Jewish audience would have been familiar with from the Scriptures. But there was also this miraculous speech, this divinely empowered speech. And again, throughout the Old Testament, inspired speech was regularly associated with the spirits coming upon God's servants at specific times and for specific moments. Whether it's Numbers chapter 11, where you know the elders are being... A call to come and help Moses or, or Saul being anointed king in 1 Samuel. There are these, again, these images of the Spirit coming in this inspired speech. And so all of this to say that for the observant Jew on this historic day of Pentecost, it was easy to see that God was in their midst, doing something new and powerful among them. The coming of the Spirit was God's new work. For when God comes to them, he, he brings wind and fire and utterance. And so what's happening here? Well, this is the dawning of a new age. And the Holy Spirit is now coming to the redeemed. The followers of Jesus are being clothed with power. God is coming to dwell within every single individual believer through the person of the Holy Spirit. God is coming to be with us in a new and a profound way. Now, let's pause for a moment for perhaps one of the most historically controversial aspects of the day of Pentecost has been this speaking in tongues. Now, picture it for a moment. Here's a man who's been a pastor in a Pentecostal church for 23 years talking about speaking in tongues in a Baptist church. Whatever could go wrong this morning? What can go wrong here in this moment? Now, if I'm not around next Sunday, you'll know what went wrong. 
but I've got some past history with that as well. So, let, let's, let's, let's talk about this in, in the context of what's happening here in Acts 2. We have, picture it now, we have, we have devout Jews, the Scripture says, from many different nations gathered in Jerusalem. We have Perithians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and, and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Serena and visitors from Rome. There's a diverse crowd of people here. And this diverse crowd of people are representing many native languages. And while most in the crowd, including the disciples, would probably have spoken Aramaic or Greek, those gathered heard the followers of Jesus speaking in their own vernacular languages, their native languages, their, their local dialects. And so it's quite clear that the tongues on the day of Pentecost were languages that were immediately recognized by the visitors from different nations. And the scripture says that they each heard the works of God in their own native language. And so there's an important connection to make here between what we often refer to as speaking in tongues and the presence of people from all the nations at this special day on God's timetable. And what we have here is a unique display of God's sovereign power through inspired speech in preparation for the worldwide proclamation of the gospel. Jesus said that the power of Pentecost was to enable a worldwide witness. And this demonstration of inspired speech on the day of Pentecost was a clear demonstration of God's enabling power to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. What's God doing here? I think he's breaking down barriers. God is showing us that by his power, he can and he will. He will even transcend language barriers in an effort to make Jesus known. As someone said, it was a token that God means for all peoples to understand his greatness and that he's willing to do miracles to make his glory known among the nations. You know what? No matter what our theological position might be on speaking in tongues, this is something that we can pray for today, all of us. We can pray this. God, work in such a way to make your glory known among the nations. God, do marvelous works to make your glory known among peoples of the world. God, break down necessary barriers. Move and do what you need to do so that people come to know Jesus in a saving way. The day of Pentecost is all about enabling the church's worldwide witness. And verse 11 tells us that what the gathered crowd heard was the disciples declaring the mighty works of God. Or a more literal translation, they were speaking of the greatness of God. And, and I like what John Piper says here. He says, The flames on their heads had set fire to the knowledge of God and turned it into passion. 
And the violence and the loudness of the wind had drowned out all the puny voices of doubt and uncertainty. And so every remnant of timidity and hesitancy and weakness is swallowed up in the experience of God's greatness. And a tremendous boldness and courage and zeal was unleashed as they gave witness to the greatness of God. And I think we can also all pray that, Lord, do do that among us. Give us a new boldness to preach your word. Give us uh, an empowered uh, witness to point others to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now what? The day of Pentecost means that now we, we are indwelt by a person. When we are saved, we are indwelt by a person, the person of the Holy Spirit. He's not a force or influence, but a person who is in fact God. And some of the things that that the Holy Spirit does, the scripture says, he serves as a counselor. And he's a teacher who guides us in the truth. He glorifies Jesus, making him known. He gives gifts and he remakes us into the image of sin. The scripture says he convicts of sin, persuading us of our guilt and our need for Christ's righteousness. And distinctly significant to the day of Pentecost is that the indwelling Holy Spirit empowers us to serve and witness. As Luke says, we are clothed with with the power we need to exalt Jesus in and through our lives. You know what? There was one day of Pentecost, but the disciples continued to pray for, to be filled with the Spirit as they con- and as they were continually filled, they experienced God's life-giving presence and power in great ways. And I would suggest to us that what the disciples experienced as a result of the coming of the Spirit, that we should expect and pray for power to witness, power to declare that Jesus is Lord, power to bring the gospel to unreached people. Yeah, there's only one Pentecost. The Spirit himself comes once, but he is here. And what he did among the disciples in the first century, he continues to do in response to believing prayer and praise. You know, as we, as we close this morning and as we move into a time of communion, I, I believe that God will move among those who desire to make Jesus known. And that the Spirit will move upon churches who desire to make Jesus known. The power of the Spirit that Jesus instructed the disciples to wait for was about a new power for ministry and mission. To, to encourage and enable God's people to accomplish God's mission. And we need to pray for the power of the Spirit today as we announce that Jesus is the Lord of the world. We need the power of the Spirit working in the routine of our lives to help us express Jesus in and through us. Now what? Well, because of Easter, we are gospel people, we are mission people, and we are spirit-empowered people. And the gospel is advanced when messengers, when witnesses like us are empowered by the Spirit. You know, Paul testified to the Thessalonians and said that our gospel came to you 
not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. In his letter to the Ephesian church, Paul issues this this imperative to be filled with the Spirit. It's not just an individual call, but it's a call to, to the community to be filled with the Spirit. It's about cultivating a consistent pattern of life that is influenced by the Holy Spirit. You know, this week I couldn't help but think of, of how Matt and, uh, and David, you know, were out in, in Kilbride this week and, and uh, meeting out there and, and um, talking about prayer strategies. And Matt was also telling me about some conversations he's had this week as we look towards planning a church in that community. And as we, as, we, as we do that, friends, we need to be praying that God, by His Spirit, will enable us to be powerful witnesses of the gospel. And that the Spirit of God is going ahead of us, breaking down the necessary barriers that exist there, and enabling us to start a, a, a new community of believers who are to become a people of the gospel, a people of mission, and a people who themselves are empowered by the Spirit to take that same gospel to other communities and other neighborhoods and, yes, around the world. And so, friends, the now what of Easter is that you and I are witnesses to a gospel. It's the message of what Jesus has done to save us. We are called to take that gospel around the world and across the street. And friends, let us realize that we cannot do this of our own ingenuity, our own wisdom, our own ability, that we need the help of the Spirit to give us wisdom, to teach us, to lead us into truth, to empower us, and to gift us in the necessary ways so that ultimately people come to know Jesus and, the, and our God is glorified. Amen? Let's stand for prayer, shall we, before we come. Let me, uh, let me pray with you and for you this morning. Lord Jesus, what a joy it is to be together in worship. What a joy it is to, to lift our voices in song we declare in song the great truths of the gospel. And what a joy it is to, to preach, to hear your word, and uh, Lord, a joy to have your spirit reveal truth to us and the truth of your word. And so, Lord, help us, Lord, to be people of the gospel. Help us to be gospel people, people who are rooted in what you have done to save humanity. Help us to be people of mission, Lord Jesus, people who are on mission, living on mission, people who are, who are powerful witnesses of, of the gospel. And Lord, help us to be empowered by your Spirit. And I pray, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will fill me, Lord, in a fresh way, that you will empower my life, Lord, in a fresh way, empower me to be a powerful witness of the gospel. And I pray that you will empower us as a community of believers uh, to take this gospel, uh, to take this gospel and to share it with people who do not know it. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you'll break down the necessary barriers as you've always have done 
so that people will come to see you, Lord Jesus, as their Lord and their Savior. Lord, do this in our lives. Do this in our church. Uh, And Lord, we give you all the praise and all the glory. May your name be exalted in Jesus' name. Amen.